What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the PA Turnpot episode 64. It's another solo dolo part two episode as Rob is on vacation yet again. But uh, on today's episode, it's going to be a short episode, very baseball heavy. It'll probably be maybe an hour long, maybe 45 minutes tops. I will be talking about the Phillies, their recent struggles, especially last night's game. First of four on the road in Pittsburgh. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Next, we'll talk about the MLB trade talks. Otani whispers, Juan Soto watch, and what actual transactions have happened in the last week since recording. And then that's it. We'll do the four-minute scramble. I'll do my best to try to nail it under four minutes. It's only me today. And then Rob has mailed in his wins and losses for the week. And I do have a W, but no L's. But first, let's take a quick pause for our sponsor, Anchor. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to episode 64 of the PA Term Pod. I'm your host, Joel. Rob is on vacation yet again. This man takes a lot of vacation, a lot of PTO time. Good for him. Again, he's in an undisclosed location where he doesn't have to pump his own gas. Google Google that what you will. But uh, on today's episode, if you didn't listen to the rundown, I'll be talking about the Phillies, MLB trade talks that have happened and that are whispered and you know rumored to have to happen it's only only focus on Shohei Otani and Juan Soto next I'll do the four minute scramble and then share wins and losses I only have one win of the week Rob did pitch in did send his WNL and surprisingly he only has one of each so here we go um well let's just kick it off right here Pirtle right nah no Pirtle because it's kind of eh it's it's hard to do it with two people, let alone now it's just me by myself. It's just going to be dead silent and me breathing into the mic. And <sighs> see how annoying that is? That's how annoying it will be. So I'll skip the hurdle. But uh, let's just go right into it. Uh, the fighting fills. Right now they're at a 52-47 uh, win-loss record. Third in the NL East. They'll probably keep that all the way throughout the season. But they are tied for third in the wild card. I think the last time I recorded they were just on the outskirts. And they didn't have the tiebreaker. Now they have the tiebreaker because they're tied in third place with the Cardinals. So that's good news. The Giants and Marlins follow suit at the 4-5 or the 5-6 spots, however you want to view that. But uh, here is the wild card. Braves are at the top now. Padres at second. Phillies at third, 3A. Cardinals at 3B. And then Giants at 4. And then Marlins at 5. Let's just recap. Since the last time we recorded uh, the Cup Series, I can safely say, and maybe Rob next week will ch- chime in and correct me, but I think us going into the Cup Series, I thought we would at least take two out of three, if not a full sweep. There was a sweep, but the good guys were on the wrong end of that. Worst case scenario, you had three games, almost a layup, and the Phillies absolutely got slaughtered. At the bank. Uh, they gave up 25 runs in three games. And they only scored seven. I mean I guess the constellation prize is. They came, off, they came off a high. In sweeping. The Marlins. In Florida. But eh, that don't bode well for me. You had the Cubs. Dead in the water. 
and you gave up 25 runs? What the hell happened there? What happened there? Uh, bullpen was just absolute shit. One game had 15 runs. Every ticket in the world was probably busted on that. If you were a Cubs fan, you were probably living, living life. I believe Rob went to one of the games, I think the first game of the series, and hey, at least he didn't go to the 15-game series. That would have the 15-run game uh, final finale in the series because he probably would have been like absolutely pissed drunk and pissed off in the world. Maybe not pissed drunk, actually. He's driving. But nevertheless, because we witnessed, what game was it? The Mets. The Mets came into town. We were up, let's just say 8 nothing, and then boom, blew an eight-run lead, and we lost by two or one, something like that. And I'll get into that. It's a little teaser for the Pirates uh, recap. But in between that, we had the, the Braves series, a three-game series, again, at the bank. And best-case scenario. We bounced back after losing three in a row to the Cubs. So we're basically 500 because we beat the Marlins. We swept them in three, and then we lost three with the Cubs. So I was like, all right, we're basically back down to ground zero. Here come the Braves. First place, top of the of the wild card. Let's see if we can make some ground. And they did. They took two out of the three at the bank, make progress. So good on them. I can tell you I didn't see a single t- solitary game. I just knew the score. <laughs> Of the Cubs game, because I had money on that one. But the Braves, I assumed that we would at least take one, because the Braves always play us hard. But, hey, we took out a two out of three, and I'll take that all all day. Um, next, currently right now, the Pirate Series. Last night, Thursday night, we had game one. And absolutely sensational game from Zach Wheeler. I'll get to that in a minute. But the recap is the Phillies bullpen tried to give it away to try to just basically destroy a sensational game from Zach Wheeler. But Sir Anthony Dominguez basically stopped the bleeding in the ninth, and we ended up winning 8-7. Mind you, we were up 8 nothing, heading into the bottom of the seventh. And then that's when just the doors fell right off the hinges until Sir Anthony Dominguez stopped the bleeding. Um, to recap the scoring, well, first of all, Zach Wheeler... Seven innings strong, two earned, eight Ks. He goes nine and five in the year. The ace, the workhorse of this uh, starting rotation. Now, first inning, Derek Hall hits his first career triple that should have been caught, honestly, to right field. But I don't remember the right fielder's name, but he had it. I guess he just mistimed his jump, and he was probably also afraid of hitting the wall. And it just bounces. Literally, the ball just graces, graces his glove. And big boy Derek Hall put on his running his running cleats and just bumbling, stumbling, trembling. My Chris, my best Chris Berman impression, all the way to third base to get his first career triple, scoring uh, two players. Clearly, I don't have their names in front of me. Bad noting, bad noting. Rob would be here; he would already have it locked down. But that's not all. A sign of a sign of good things to happen. Nick Castellanos is up, and there's a sighting. He actually didn't strike out. He didn't ground out. He didn't fly out. Gets a base hit. Derek Hall scores from third, and now we got 3 nothing already for the Phils. In the second inning, Bohm comes in, hits a base hit. Schwarber scores, and now it's 4 nothing, Phillies. Now let's move up all the way to the sixth inning. We have two men on, and... 
Kyle Schwaber with a Schwarbaum. Deep to right field. Boom. Phillies up now 7-0. Didi Gregorius in the next inning, the top of the seventh. Adds us, you know, another run for insurance. Scoring Castellanos, who got on base again. So a good sighting for Castellanos hitting the ball, getting good at bats. So good things that they're kind of like me and Rob roasting him. Probably not last week, but in between recordings, just because he just sucks lately. But good thing for Castellanos hitting him. Now, I say that TD gave us the insurance run because what followed in the bottom of that frame was absolutely putrid. Not really putrid, but the innings following that. Because Willard then gives up two earned runs in the bottom frame. So now it's 8-2. They give him the hook. Boom, whatever. Eighth inning was okay. And eighth inning was pretty bad, actually. Not okay. Eighth and ninth, the bullpen gave up five runs. Five more runs. Now it's 8-7. Now I'm sweating. There's only one out in the ninth, and then Sir Anthony Dominguez comes in, shuts the door for two-thirds of an inning, gets the save. He is the closer. Knable is just absolutely trash and putrid. But uh, this game was out of hand, 8 nothing. I had them on a ticket, sure to win 100 bucks. I was I was on my way to win 100 bucks. The Phillies were, at the time when I picked them, I think they just had scored two runs, and I had them for minus 4.5. Obviously, eight runs, eight nothing game. I was like, all right, I'm coasting. I tune back. It's eight seven, final. I'm like, well, no, 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 no. And I look at my ticket, and sure enough, it was dead. So screw the Phillies for that. The bullpen is absolutely atrocious. If anything, the Phillies need bullpen help because this bullpen cannot survive in a playoff series to win to get to the World Series. There's no shot. The hitting is inconsistent. I mean, they just gave up 24, 25 runs, pitching-wise, to the Cubs. Then they took two out of three with the Braves. And now this four-game series against the Pirates, you blew a seven-run lead basically in two innings. Not the greatest, or three innings. Not the greatest uh, outing for the Phillies right there. But nevertheless, we'll take a W. Uh, game two is Friday night. Uh, let me check real quick. I'll check. Who is the pitching? I want to say... Is it Nola? No, it can't be Nola. I mean, Will just pitched. Uh, efforting, efforting. Um, let me see. Who have we got for today? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. All right. The probable pitchers for tonight's game, Friday night's game, uh, Phillies left-hand pitcher Bailey Falter versus Jose Quintana. Yeet. Uh, smash the over on that, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see what the, the over-under is. The run line is minus one and a half either way. Phillies with a slight money lead, minus 125. Over-under is at eight. Yeah, probably would smash that, especially after last night's 15 runs. Um, yeah, so that's it for the Phillies. Um, let's now preview for the rest of the series before the next time Rob and I share the mic on this podcast for episode 65. Uh, next... After four games in Pittsburgh, they'll head down to Atlanta for two games. So those are going to be two pivotal games. Hopefully the Phillies can split it. If not, obviously best case scenario is get two games in Atlanta and just basically edge closer, widening, closing the gap in the wild card as of currently year, you know, one versus three. Let's hopefully we close that. And then next you return home 
for four games against Washington. Now, Washington plays as good. I, I'm telling you right now, save this recording, save this moment right here. When Washington plays the Phillies, Kyle Schwarber will hit multiple home runs. Will he hit multiple home runs a game? He's done it before. I would put money on that, and I would put money that he hits a home run at least once in every game. Just put money on it, 10 bucks here and there, you'll win some money. You'll probably lose some money as well, but I think you'll win more than you lose. I'm just saying. But those are the those are the next two series before the next time we record. It will be previewing game two next time we record Rob and I. But, uh, yeah. And then speaking of Washington, will Juan Soto be there? Probably not. So let's just segue right into the MLB talks. The Juan Soto watch. As currently right now, it's July 29th. It is about 1 p.m., 1.30 p.m. exactly. And let me refresh this before I... So we could have break news. And Twitter is... There's nothing on Juan Soto. Let me go up to the extending. Like I give a crap about Beyonce's new album. Nope. So Juan Soto is still a Washington National at this moment of recording. So, let me see. The New York Post um, author, John Heyman, lists 19, excuse me, to likely land Soto from the greatest to the least chances. And Hector Gomez on Twitter, his handle is at HGomez with a Z, 27. He also basically validated Heyman's uh, list here. Because Heyman's list has the Padres as the most likely team to land. Juan Soto. Cardinals are a sneaky second. Dodgers, because of the money in the capital, they're third. Rangers at four. Mariners have a good uh, farm stock at five. The Yankees can never rule out the Yankees at six. Giants at seven. Rays at, at eight. Because they try to go for Freddie Freeman. Why not try to go for Juan Soto? They, I mean, they have it. And then the Nat, I mean, the Mets are at nine, but very unlikely that the Nats will trade within the division and see basically Juan Soto because they already see Bryce Harper as it is. Granted, Bryce Harper was a free agent. He chose Philadelphia. Juan Soto will be traded within division. I don't think that makes sense. But, hey, the Mets are, you know, the number one team right now in the NL East and in the NL. So the rich get richer or the power get more powerful. We'll see how that goes. But uh, Hector Gomez's tweet Basically, it was an eye-opener. It said, source, in all caps, quote, The Padres are in serious talks with the Nationals for a Juan Soto trade for. Talks have intensified since last night. And that was at this time of recording. That was about maybe 20, yeah, 26 hours ago at this moment of recording. So, looks like the Padres are in line to get Juan Soto and basically st- stick it to the Dodgers. But the Dodgers are the cream of the crop in that division. And the Padres are in second in the in the wild card. This could propel them to basically keep the two, if not the first spot in the wild card, and compete long term. Now that you have the twenty three year old, I think the twenty three year old phenom in Juan Soto. Next, the best player I think in baseball, the best two way player in baseball in a long, long, long time, and that is not Mike Trout, but he's another second. He's like the they have the Angels. Have two generational players, and they can't win a lick of a game. 
They fire their their manager. I think right before, right after the Phillies game, after we just fired Joe Girardi, and that didn't help. They've been on a losing streak when they were in New York. It's just a hot mess out there in Angels. And I'm talking about Shohei Otani is now being whispered in the trade talks. And, yeah, if you were a winning organization, yeah, I would keep him or listen to offers, but you're not a winning organization. You have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, two generational players, and you can't do anything with them. You can't surround any talent with them. Nothing, nothing, nothing. You can't win. It's trash. And I'm not doing you justice. I'm sure Rob, if he were here, he would just have like a a gripe. We haven't had a gripe in a while, but I'm sure next week Rob will have a gripe and he'll just have a soliloquy of how piss poor the organization is for the Angels. How do you not give this king, these kings, help and be competitive in that division? Like, Granted, I had them winning the World Series or going to the World Series. Oh, absolutely a joke. But anyway, Shohei Otani trade talk whispers, and I would listen. I would listen, but of course, greedy people want to get a big haul for you know good players like Juan Soto and great players, excuse me, like Juan Soto and Shohei Otani. The Angels are listening to offers, but they have no real intent on trading him before the deadline. They might do so in the winter, in the winter talks, because he will be a free agent at the end of next year. So, and does he really want to stay in Los Angeles with that team, the Angels? Because he could go to the Dodgers, he could go to the Yankees, he can go anywhere he wants. He's a king. And he's going to ask for a lot of money. Not ask for a lot of money, but he des- deservingly so. He's worth it. But uh, interesting enough, Shohei Otani spoke on the trade rumors and whispers through his translator last night after the game. He was asked if he wants to be an angel in the short and long term. Through his translator, this this is what was said from Shohei Otani. Quote, I'm with the Angels right now. I'm very thankful for what they've done. I love my team and my teammates. Right now, I'm an angel, and that's all I can focus on, end quote. A very political, lawyer-esque, by-the-book, standard <laughs> retort from Otani, who just wants to focus on his gameplay, on his pitching and his hitting, and just the season, because he does love his teammates. He does love being in L.A. with the Angels. But, uh, come on, buddy. It, if you... If your goal as a baseball player is to win or be competitive, get in the playoffs, and ultimately win the chip, I don't think you'll do it with the Angels. You have you're not the only generational player. You have Mike Trout in the outfield, and you can't do anything with that. You fired your your manager midway, quarter of the way through the season. It's a hot mess out there. It's always been a hot mess. <sighs> Gross. And uh, I just got on Otani about last year. I think it was last year, if not last year, early in the pod uh, career of starting this podcast from Rob. Otani is box office. He is must-see TV. He is sensational every time out there. I'll give you a few stats, and then we'll move on to the actual moves that happened in the last week in the trade deadline or in the trade talks. Stat one. Through Otani's first 50th career starts as a pitcher and 500 games as a hitter. Yeah, he plays DH and he's a starting pitcher. Otani has 
here's here's staggering numbers here. Otani has more strikeouts than Jacob Degrom. Remember, this is in first fiftieth career starts. Has more strikeouts than Jacob Degrom, and has a lower ERA than New York Yankees Garrett Cole. Two aces for the two top teams in the AL and NL: New York Mets and the New York Yankees. Now, in the first 500 games as a hitter, Otani has more home runs than Ted Williams. And here's another one. Has more RBIs than Ken Griffey Jr. It boggles my mind that how great and sensational that he is, the team around him, surrounded him by the front office, is absolutely putrid. Putrid. It's a shame. It's honestly, the Angels should be a laughing stock and a red flag. I'd probably, I might regret this. I might choose Oakland A's knowing that, A, no one's going to be showing up. A, I can just focus on my hitting and my pitching if I was a two-way player. Get really good, and then I know that I won't get paid fairly, and I won't be at Oakland, and I'll get traded, sought after by somebody else. Historically, that's how the Oakland A's are. You're a great player, you won't be there for long. You're out. Angels, you're a great player, or a sensational player, or a generational player. You're going to be there rotting away. Like Mike Trout. Like Shohei Otani right now. Not great. Um, Another stat. Last stat right here. Otani has the most strikeouts since June 22nd of this year. This literally maybe just a month and a week span because of the All-Star break was thrown in there. Otani leads with 68 Ks. You want to guess how how the you want to guess the next closest to him? Try 11 away with Carlos Rondon with 57 strikeouts. In one more start. Then Otani. Otani has 68 in six starts. Carlos Rondon has 57 in seven starts. Third place, Yu Darvish with 54. And then from there, several pitchers, including Garrett Cole, separate, all separated by two to three strikeouts in the low 50s. Otani has 68. He's he's touching 70. So it's, it's incredible. It's absolutely boggles my mind. But uh I don't think Shohei Otani will be traded by the trade deadline in August. But I think he will be traded during the offseason, during the winter breaks, during the winter meetings. If not, the Angels are the dumbest organization because this is at the highest value you have as at him. You might as well get as much as you can for him during the winter meetings before he chooses to walk away as a free agent. You don't want that. You don't want that. Like, a la Bryce Harper. You don't want that. And then, mind you, he comes back and burns you because he's in the same division. You really don't want that. You want to control where he goes, basically. Uh, in the last week, the official moves that have been made, let me refresh the good old Twitter just to make sure n- no trade, no Juan Soto, no Shohei Otani has been moved yet. Um, Joey Gallo. Oh my God, what a fall from grace this guy was. 
well, that actually segues perfectly into my next segment. Uh, Joey Gallo should probably should be relegated to the bench, especially after the Yankees acquired Andrew Benintendi from the Royals, outfielder Andrew Benintendi from the Royals for Chandler Champlain. Let me let me say his name again: Chandler Champlain, Beckway, and the number nineteen prospect pitcher T.J. Sakema. So it's a good haul for both sides to win-win. And Joey Gallo should just be relegated now to the bench. And will he surprise? And here's the, here's the thing. This is how crazy sports works, especially baseball. He has sucked through the entire season. He has been New York Yankees' hated number one player. Like, people can't stand him being in the lineup or fielding. He's just absolutely garbage. But they keep him in the lineup. He keeps hacking away. He hears the noise. He sees it. He feels it. He knows it. But when October comes around, when playoff comes around, he might get key at bats and might get key clutch at bats and hits to propel the Yankees to win or add insurance to their already big lead. Watch out. Joey Gallo, if he doesn't get traded or relegated to just basically permanently on the bench, will make an impact for the New York Yankees in the playoffs. Mark my words. But with the arrival of outfielder uh, Benintendi, it's basically running on the wall that Joey Gallo will not be out there on the field. Maybe in pinch hit situations, you know, extra innings, or, you know, when one of these outfielders, the plethora of outfielders that the Yankees have need a day off. Like Judge, they might just shut down Judge, who hit his 39th, home run and a walk-off home run last night bind you against the Royals 0-0 game and on the bottom of the ninth he just crushes one right out to left center so they might shut down Judge so then Gallo might get in but yeah the Yankees uh, in the past week have acquired Andrew Benatendi from the Royals uh, next the we'll just stick with the AL East Red Sox have acquired center fielder Abraham Almonte from the Brew Crew for cash considerations. So, hey, good on the Red Sox. They're just making some moves. Trying to stay competitive in this. That AL that East is absolutely filled of killers. Essentially, every team is above 500. The Royals have made a surge. So have the Reds and the Mariners of late. We talked about it last week or the week before. I mean, here come the Red Sox, ladies and gentlemen, with a center fielder in Abraham Almonte. And the big, uh, the big spenders in the last week have been the New York Mets, acquiring four players in three different transactions. Uh, first, they got DH Dan Vogelbach from the Pirates for pitcher Colin Holderman. Next, they went out and got catcher Michael Perez from the Pirates. So they're just personally just doing deals with the Pirates for cash consideration. So they're they're beefing up their bench. They got a backup catcher now, and Vogelbach, the big boy, big beefy boy, can hit, can hit the ball. So here come the Mets. The Mets are they're starting to find their groove. And if only Richard DeGroe was on, if I can get him on, and he can just, I mean, we clowned him about early in the podcast season of how about that he's a Mets fan. But look who's laughing now. The Mets are for real, and they just got better. And then the third transaction that they did 
with the most recent one where they acquired outfielder Tyler Naquin and left-handed pitcher Philip Dial. Um, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name, his last name right. Philip Dial from the Reds for minor leaguers. So again, the Mets haven't the Mets basically gave up Colin Holderman, money, and minor leaguers to acquire an outfielder, pitching, a backup catcher. And power on the bench with a DH in Volkabach. The Mets are making good moves, ladies and gentlemen. The Mets are making some good moves. And again, there's still a week away for any more transactions. Let me hit this one last one before we move on. And Micah Hyde injured at the Bills training camp. <laughs> that sucks for them. Uh, let me see. Anything else? No, that's it. So, uh, yes, the Mets are the big spenders so far, but it looks like the Padres might close in and actually get Juan Soto probably by the end of this podcast. I guarantee you. Well, I can't guarantee that, but you know what I mean. Uh, next is the four-minute scramble, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so far, it's four topics on the docket. Let's see if I can just pull out the timer real quick. And here we go. All right. Last week, Rob and I did have a major screw-up. We never realized that, or we never touched that. Vince McMahon abruptly retired from WWE in a tweet. Of course, he's going through some allegations, and it's a Me Too movement. So, but, you know, they, obviously he ain't going to admit it. So he's just, oh, I think it's time for me to retire. It's been my whole life. You know, X, Y, Z, but we all know. It's just something... Whatever they have on him, whatever drop they have on Vince McMahon, it got him shook to the point where he retired from his own company and basically gave his daughter and I believe Nick Khan basically the rights to everything, the co-CEOs or whatever the case may be. The good news out of all that nonsense for Vince McMahon leaving, Triple H is now the head of talent relations and he's going to be signing Top-tier wrestlers. He's probably going to poach a lot of guys and women from AEW. They're basically their number one competitor, I guess. Their edger competitor. And the whole landscape of this, you know, cookie-cutter, cartoony, entertainment style of wrestling will probably wash away. And he'll have more, obviously, say, now that Vince McMahon is nowhere nearby. So good for Triple H and WWE making a comeback, looks like. Uh, Topic number two, just recently... Ryan Kerrigan, former Eagle, is now returning to Washington to be a commander. Good move? I mean, Chase Young is happy. I mean, it bolstered that, that defense already. And now Carson Wentz doesn't have to worry about Kerrigan coming after him. He has to worry about everybody else on our team, on the Eagles. So, eh, not, not bad. I guess he's going to retire as a commander eventually. Uh, sticking with the NFL, Seahawks just signed DK Metcalf to a multi-year extension worth $72 million. He's only second highest wide receiver to getting paid this offseason behind $100 million winner, Philadelphia Eagles, A.J. Brown. Um, good move. I thought he would be worth more, but I think his stock took a hit over the past season, being injured or just not really getting the ball and just having that complaining. And then, obviously, Russell Wilson just left, too. So, Drew Locke is going to be throwing to a $72 million worth quarterback if he's not on his on his rear end or not, you know, throwing picks. So, uh, good for DK Metcalf. Um, and lastly, 
UFC 277. Yes, I had a sneak in the UFC. No, Rob. Uh, UFC 277. This weekend, uh, Bantamweight Queen Juliana Pena will rematch against basically the consensus women's goat in Amanda Nunes, who lost her belt to Juliana Pena some months ago. And they just did the Ultimate Fighter, I believe. That whole series is still going on. I can't believe that's still going on. The question I pose, does Juliana Pena cement her legacy by defeating the GOAT back-to-back and retain her Bantamweight title? Well, I did have I did get a chance to see the live weigh-ins. Where they, you know, they have like a certain amount of hours to weigh in before it's obviously a forfeit or she's overweight. She literally came in with like two minutes left on the clock and obviously got a half a pound under the target weight but that usually bodes for a bad cut a rough cut and then it's all about her recovery and preparation obviously for the fight i think amanda nunez will get her belt back and then we're going to see a rubber match a trilogy between these two women but i'm excited julian Pena versus amanda nunez for the ufc bantamweight title i'm stoked for it and that should be it. Look at that. We did it. All right. To end the show. And it's only been, what, 30-some minutes? So not bad. Not bad. Uh, some wins and the losses. We only have a total of two wins, one loss. Rob chipped in, of course. So we'll go with the loss, as Rob says. Let's start with an L and end with Ws to ride off into the sunset of the weekend. Uh First and only L from Rob. According to Nick Jahavla on Twitter, he posted a couple pictures of the fan turnout for day two of the Commanders training camp. And boy, is it putrid. Is it sad? It's probably... Let me see the both pictures. It's probably about the size of a classroom of about 30 to 35 students. It's 30 to 30 people spread out thin. I mean, there is space between people watching these commanders at training camp. And the weather is not bad, actually. It's not raining. It's not like a whole heavy overcast. You know, there is some water on the ground. So it probably rained earlier in the day, if not the day before. But still, this is a shit turnout, honestly. And with a new quarterback, you would think... I think we're we're back, baby. We're back. We're going to be competitive this season. Nope. About 30 to 35 people showed up for day two. And this is just obviously from this person's perspective and this person's angle of the two shots. There's probably plenty of other people, but it's pretty funny. Anytime you can uh, you know, ridicule anybody in the NFC East other than the Eagles, I'm here for it. So Rob with the L of the week. Um, we'll stick with, uh, with Rob with his W. Our boys at John Boy Media, apparently the perfect sponsorship deal does exist. Uh, I don't know much about this, but this I thought it was pretty funny. There's a couple of pictures with uh, Huskers wide receiver Dick Coldest Crawford. Yes, you heard that right. Dick Coldest. Like the coldest, but it's Dick Coldest Crawford. And <laughs> oh my God. this was tweeted by SOS Heating and Cooling Company. And the tweet says, SOS, SOS 
Heating and Cooling is excited to introduce our new spokesperson, Huskers wide receiver, DeColds Crawford. If anyone knows which HVAC company is the coldest in Nebraska, it's him. You'll be seeing a lot more with him soon. And it's a couple pictures, I guess, with two spokesmen or the two owners of SOS Heating and Cooling with DeColds Crawford in the middle with a football, number one wide receiver. Well, it's Jersey's number one. This is pretty funny. I got a good kick out of it. And then obviously the replies are just brutal. <laughs> but uh it's a great name and great for the for the uh the company just getting their name out there. Because before today I didn't ha- and you guys as well probably didn't if you're unless you're in the Nebraska area, had no idea what SOS heating and cooling company existed. You sh- probably thought they would be, but now that we do know them, their new spokesperson is wide receiver huskers. Dakota's Crawford. So shout out to Dakota's Crawford also for for getting a bag the right way. And now the last W, my W, is uh, Philadelphia Eagles Garnu Minshew. This guy, if he's not the real life Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, and if he doesn't get an acting gig in the future to play in a reboot remake of Napoleon Dynamite, if he doesn't play Uncle Rico. It's a it's a crime against humanity. Gardner Minshew spent his offseason in an old prison bus, focused on Super Bowl or bus mentality. And this guy, let me, and here's the quote. Let me see. And here's a quote from author Tim McAnis from his article on ESPN. Basically, his trainer, uh, Minshew's trainer, Anthony Tombarlo, didn't know if Eagles quarterback excuse me, didn't know if uh, Eagles quarterback Cardinal Minshew was serious at first when he told him he wanted to live in a bus outside of Temparlo's gym in Florida this offseason. Well, sure enough, Gardner Minshew did. He sure did. And let me see. It was always his dream, basically, to, like, live out of a bus. He's basically, and this is what Minshew says, quote, I'm living at the gym, eat, sleep, shower here, everything. It's kind of my own little island here, and I love it, end quote. Gardner Minshew could be the starter for the Philadelphia Eagles if Jalen Hurts doesn't get his act together. If he, if he, if his accuracy gets better, he has his college uh, best friend in receiving in Devontae Smith, and now he has his real life best friend in AJ Brown. You have Watkins. You have I can't believe Rager's still on the team. You have other people on the team: Boston Scott, Miles Sanders. And you obviously are a scrambling quarterback. If you don't progress this season, my guy, Gardner Minshew will take this to the bank. What a, what a W for Gardner Minshew. I love this guy. Such such swag. And he's just the backup quarterback, too. He's basically this era's, this version's Nick Foles. A backup that everyone likes who could perform when called upon. So I'm here for it. Good for Gardner Minshew. And uh, that's it. I mean, it's been a quick one. Nothing. No real action has happened. I mean, hockey's dead in the water. Football is now in training camp, so we're going to get some more heavy football episodes in the coming weeks, especially in the months ahead. We might do the two a weeks like we did in the inception of this podcast. Baseball trade deadline is next week, so we'll definitely cover all that. But then the second half of the season also begins for the baseball. Uh, NBA's been quiet, boy, quiet. And then 
the Union are just keep doing the Union things. They're the number one team in the MLS, so good on Philadelphia. And uh, that's it. I mean, been a short 40-minute episode of the PA Turnpot. Again, I am your host, Joel. Uh, Rob is still on vacation, probably, you know, downing some glizzies and beers. So he'll recap his little vacation next week for episode 65. But until then, have a safe and happy weekend. And uh, we'll see you next time. Adios.